Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and each and every Friday, myself and co-host George Ellick will preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action alongside Bet365's Steve Freeth. We're going to get straight into it this week, but before we do, just remember at the moment you can sign up to The Athletic for just £3.33 a month for an entire year. To take advantage of that, just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Guys, hope you're both well. Friday evening, Brentford v Watford. An unusual television pick, I would say, George, but no Ivan Tony for Brentford, which will be a blow. And he's always quite fun to watch for Brentford as well. Yeah, he is. This feels more like a, um, a Friday night EFL game live on Sky from last season than a, than a Premier League one, um, which is which is good to see. But uh, yeah, Ivan Tony is out. Uh, he was out as well um, in the game against against Leeds, which they, they nearly won. They went down late, very late on to a, a Patrick Bamford goal, um, which was disappointing because they put in a, a half-decent performance and Leeds are starting to kind of trend in the right way, I guess. So for them to be without Tony but still score the two goals to put them in that position to win the game and come away with just the point would be disappointing. Um, Tony is is out here. Um, he's had a positive COVID test. Um, it, it feels like given the stories around Tottenham and Leicester at the moment like this... Is going to be a bit of a constant thread, maybe for the next few weeks, with um, a lot of these players missing due to COVID. Um, so we're going to have to keep our kind of fingers on the pulse when it comes to who's in and who's out. And I guess a lot of managers will probably keep their their cards pretty close to their chest uh, in terms of that. But we know that Tony's out. We know that Sergio Canos is out as well. But the one thing I would say about Brentford is that we may not, or, or many people might not have heard of of some of the players who who deputise. But these are guys who are. Know that their strength and depth may not be as evident as some other teams who have quality household names throughout their squad but the players who do step up when they have players out are, are very very good and the way that Brentford are run is they have a succession plan which means that when Ivan Tony does leave Brentford in the next 18 months or so probably unless um, something goes wrong with Tony or very right with Brentford you know M- Marcus Force is earmarked to be the guy who's going to step up into that role you know, he's someone who never lets Brentford down his, his goal per minute ratio is fantastic for them um, and I, I think it must be tricky for him as a, a striker who doesn't get that much consistent game time to perform at a high level because you often think a striker's needing that consistency. So, you know, Johan Wies is another one who they spent a lot of money on in the summer. He's played well in, in cup games. He got the winner at West Ham uh, a couple of months ago. Another player we haven't seen a great deal of who, who might come in here as well. So, yes, key players out and, and they'll miss them, um, but it's not... a a threadbare squad, even if we don't know too much about the guys who are going to step up. History shows us they're normally pretty good as well. Yeah, I can't decide whether Brentford are going to be in a relegation battle or not, Steve. This is the kind of fixture, though, they're not going to be in one that they need to pick up three points in. 
Yeah, I mean, there's still five to one for for relegation, Dan. You know, sitting in thirteenth place, seven points above above the you know the drop zone. They had a they had a great start, didn't they? You know, to the season. Admittedly, it was against a very weak Arsenal side. I think us three could have probably played and probably you know got three points there for uh, for the bees. Currently in that sticky spell, one winning eight. That was against a lackluster. Everton side as well but even though it's not the two of the sexiest sides in the Premier League this is a game that I'm I'm really looking forward to I think it could be a quite entertaining fair as well but it's a good chance for, for Brentford to get three more points and clearly Watford need three more points as well to try and get themselves up in the division What's changed with Brentford George from the start of the season they got off to a flyer of a start as good a start as any championship team newly promoted has had it's not quite yeah. kicked, has it but what, what's changed do you think what's, what's the reason for this I think part of it might be that teams, Premier League teams now know what to expect. There, there may have been a bit of complacency when it came to Brentford early, early on in the season. Um, as I said, I think in the pre-season um, pods that we did, you know, there, there's this idea of Brentford being a, you know, a, an attacking, uh, aesthetically pleasing football team, and they can be, but at the same time, they have a pragmatic manager in Thomas Frank who sets them up to frustrate quite often and they're very very good at holding their shape against teams who like to have a lot of the ball so I think it's a case of maybe being found out a bit it's probably also a case of, of expectations being heightened to a level which is going to be unsustainable um, you know I still think that they should be okay uh, they you know the, the form has dipped alongside it but they're, but they're in okay shape if you'd offered them this at the start of the season they probably would have taken it but they're playing against an opposition here in Watford who started the season I mean not atrociously but but pretty poorly poorly enough to sack their manager and the performances we're seeing in the last few weeks in my view are, are, are well above um, the, the levels we're seeing under Cisco Munoz they're certainly more attacking they're certainly scoring mm. more goals defensively I mean yeah it, it's another three goals to it against City taking it to 19 goals in the last uh, eight, in the eight games that he's been in charge Dan so clearly no clean sheet the hangover's still there defensively I think they're around 100 to 30 to keep one in this game but I tell you what Watford have got and since he's been there, they've got the fourth best XG in the Premier League, sitting behind Manchester City, Liverpool and Chelsea. So that ain't bad going forward. Mm. Um, everybody's talking about these fixtures coming up, which is, is a nice run and the bad fixtures they've had. Sometimes it's a bit of a dangerous game to play that. But you look at it, up until the game against Manchester United away on the 26th of February, they look like they've got some absolute corkers. So, you know, the, the like of Brentford, Burnley, Palace before Christmas as well. They didn't play as aggressively against City as they did against Chelsea. Um, but they will feel that they're capable of going there. They're a big old price to do that, around the 13-5 to 5 mark. But out of the two sides, it's Brentford who the bookmakers expect to stay in the division because they're 4-11 to 11, the Bees to be the top promoted side this season with Watford at 5-2 to 2 and Norwich out with the washing at 12-1. to 1. Yeah, I mean, it feels like Watford may as well attack because I don't think they've got the quality in the defence to be able to defend and at least make use of that quality in attack and have a go. And that feels a little bit like what Ranieri has done. George, what's your tip for this one? Yeah, I, th there's one kind of thread um, with Watford that we're seeing in the last few weeks is, is that I mean, they are attacking and, and Ranieri is setting them up to press high. I, I know that they didn't necessarily do that, as Steve said, as effectively against Man City, but I think coming off of what was such an impressive performance against uh, Chelsea the, the midweek before where they pressed them so high up the pitch, I think just physically it was always going to be difficult. And I think Ranieri may have looked at City and thought, you know what, rather than running ourselves into the ground again here, let's, let's sit off them a bit and maybe not play quite so much our normal game but but teams who press high teams who are aggressive and look to attack at every opportunity 
are normally the ones who pick up more corners because, as you'd expect, they're more direct with the way that they attack. And if you look at under Enrique Ranieri so far, in that, that Man City game, they had five corners to City's 11. In the Chelsea game, they had six corners to Chelsea's none. So Chelsea didn't have a single corner, Watford getting six. It was 8-6 to Leicester in that game as well, in, in the game before. And then 9-3 to Watford in that 4-1, that famous 4-1 victory over Manchester United that saw Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign come to an end. So they've won the, the corner battle against Chelsea and against United and picked up six corners against Leicester and five corners against Man City. I think we can expect them to be the team who are attacking more often in this one. Game State would also suggest that if Brentford do justify their short price and are the ones to take the lead, that would further put the ball in, in Watford's court in this respect. So I think the 11-8 to eight on, on Watford to be the team with most corners is, is, is probably wrong. I mean, in my view, I'd probably say that Watford are more likely than Brentford to, to win that count. So the tip here, a nice nerdy corner one for you, Dan. Um, Watford to have more corners at 11 to 8. Thank you very much, George. Keep that nerdiness up. Game Always. two is Manchester City v Wolves, the Saturday lunchtime game. And Steve, you'll enjoy this. Same old story for Wolves, a bit like they were at the start of the season. They're now three games without scoring. What's going on? Yeah, they're doing okay. They are, aren't they? I think yeah. there's, the, 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 there's talks of a, you know, who's who's going to be scoring the goals for them. And you just look at you look at the bench and you see you see Fabio Silva that and just that that signing just looks more interesting by the day. You know, thirty five minutes for thirty five million pounds worth of footballer we've seen uh, this season. I don't know whether he needs a, a spell out on loan, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But. I just feel that this game is probably made for a player who really enjoys playing against Manchester City. Hasn't been a regular this season, but Adama Traore seems to save his best for City. He scored two at the Etihad when Wolves were 20-1 to to win there, when they won 2-0. He got their first goal when they beat them December 2019 as well. We always talk about the amount of shots that Traore has. He's had 21 this season, five on target, no goals from an XG of 1.8. He hit the bar against Burnley as well and... I think he gets you know the the fouls, the tactical fouls that we see against him. I'm pretty sure Pep will probably do the same as well. That I think uh, Jurgen Klopp, I think they they had six last week uh, against him as well against Liverpool. So I think this is a, is a perfect opportunity for uh, for Traore maybe to to put a bit of pressure on that Manchester City backline, which has been of course very good as always. Wolves' goals conversion rate has been one of the worst in the division this season as well. Listen, they're doing fantastically defensively. Max Kilman, Connor Cody, etc. are doing really well. Saw the goalkeeper now as a, as a better uh, XG against than the, the, the Mendy. Everyone's talking about Mendy for Chelsea, how well he's done this season. Saar is the best shot stopper currently in the division as well. And uh, even though Wolves are a huge price to get something here, I can see them at least being on the score sheet. This came up in a podcast I did this morning, actually. How many career league goals do you think Adama Traore scored? Hmm. Off the top of my head, without looking now, oh, I don't know, 10. Yeah, I was going to say about, about 8. 12 <laughs> yeah. is the answer. 12 career. It's not, not much, is it, for someone with so much no. attacking talent? I would imagine most of them would have come from Middlesbrough in the Championship. Should get on the score sheet more, should have more mm. productivity. A sensational player to watch, but definitely needs more end product. Now, City were beaten by Leipzig in midweek, George, but they were already through and topped the group. Good news was that Cancelo, Silva and Rodri were rested. I presume they've probably played the most games along with Diaz so far mm. this season. So good for them to have a midweek off. That, that should benefit them going into this game. Yeah, that is a very, very positive spin there on, on a midweek defeat. There we go. Um, 
that that is the good news is is that you know they didn't play a first team but I think when you have a, a perfectionist like Pep Guardiola you know you, you saw his interview after the game uh, he would not have been happy with the the defeat um, you know Pep hasn't had the greatest record in Europe throughout his his managerial career at Barcelona at Bayern Munich and now at Man City uh, in in the Champions League and particularly in, in away games in the Champions League so uh, I don't think he would have taken this too lightly I think he still felt like he put out a team good enough to beat a Leipzig side who've just just sat their manager um, and and we're yet to appoint another one so it was you know it, it's not significant I'm not sitting here it's gonna have saying it's gonna have any bearing at all on whether or not they beat Wolves uh, and if anything it would probably it could refocus them somewhat uh, and it could mean that certain players um, who came in from the cold like Fernandinho uh, might not be seeing many more Premier League minutes despite um, seeing him a, a bit recently but uh, yeah there'll be frustration but as you say the you know the, the key men this season I mean there seems to be quite a lot of conversation around around Bernardo Silva at the moment. He he's definitely the flavour of the month and it kind of feels like Kevin De Bruyne might have a difficult time getting back into the City team on merit at the moment because of the way that they're playing. So uh, Bernardo is very important. We spoke about Rodri, Rodri last week as well. Um I think this is going to be interesting. It's going to be a big test for Bruno Large to um show what he's about because we've seen him very much stick to his guns in terms of the way that he likes to play but you can't always do that to City and often teams who who look to try and keep the ball against City end up being picked off so easily with a high press uh, and concede a fair few so I'll be interested to see how he does set up and whether or not he looks to change it at all but you know the 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 goal scoring issues are, are clear to see you know relying on on Huang for the goals that someone who'd never been prolific previously in his in his career really um, was never going to work. And you look at his recent performances as well. I think he's only had two shots in his last uh, six Premier League games and they both came in the same game. So five of his last six games, he's, he hasn't even got a shot off. And then a lot of the goal-scoring burden falling at Raul Jimenez. So it'll be, you know, Steve is backing them to score. I can see why, but... You know, I can't see where it's going to come from necessarily. City operating at such a high level in the Premier League. Yeah, Steve's been loving his XG today. And I can tell you that Man City at the moment are on course to concede just 24.7 XG this campaign, which would be the lowest total of any Premier League team since records began. Are they still the title favourites, Steve? Yeah, very much so, Dan. Yeah, eight to thirteen. Of course, with with, with Chelsea's uh, defeat last week against West Ham, so that kind of strengthened themselves at the top there. You know, defensively, we talked about the XG there. You know, Diaz and Cancelo have been brilliant. Edison's only faced, I think, twenty-seven shots on target so far this season, and he's a he's a pretty tough cookie to get past as well, isn't he? So it's all. I think a lot of people were thinking, yeah, Chelsea, it, this is going to be their season, but you know, City keep on ticking along nicely, and uh, they look d- deserved favourites for me to retain their title. And how do you see this one playing out, Steve? Uh, three games this season where John Moss hasn't booked anybody. Um, that's not <laughs> the John Moss that used to be in Culture Club, by the way. I'm, I'm sure there's a do you really want to hurt me gag in that one, but uh, that's one for the older viewers. Uh, Manchester City and Wolves are in the bottom half for cards received. I think it will be under two and a half cards shown by John Moss this weekend. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Game three is Norwich against Manchester United, Saturday tea time. And last week was the first we got to see George of Ralph Rangnick's mm. Manchester United. Some heavy analysis doing the round, doing the round, sorry. Give me the George Ellick analysis. Well, I mean, there seem to be two camps here. One camp that is taking a lot of, uh, a lot of learnings from that first performance against Crystal Palace and then another who's laughing at those who are putting so much emphasis on that and I think I fall somewhere in between I mean, you absolutely can look into that performance the way that they set up even if it's been a very short amount of time and learn something and learn the way that they're going to be playing going forward um, and they look better drilled you know this is a Palace side who under Patrick Vieira have, have you know dominated possession and dominated kind of the, the pressing side of games against other sides who do that very well. I think back to the, the derby against um, against Brighton, where they just completely stopped Brighton from playing their own game. That was what United did to Palace here. Palace couldn't really... I mean, Palace created a few chances, but in terms of the actual gameplay, United had a lot of the ball in... in um, Palace's half. It was the Ranić style that we know, where it wasn't possession for possession's sake. It was looking to get the ball football forward and quickly, and that you know we've already seen there um, some of what he's trying to impart on these players coming through as well. It was interesting to see the way that he approached the Champions League game in midweek by giving a lot of youngsters a chance. He also you know he worked with the youngsters one on one in the day as in the days as well. Um, I like the fact that he brought on Tom Heaton and then said afterwards he had no idea about Heaton's history in the Premier League and that it was kind of a bit of a swung song for him. So on, on the one hand, yes, we learned a great deal. On the other hand, it wasn't necessarily a a resounding 1-0 victory. You know, Palace missed chances to, to go ahead, which would have given it a very, very different complexion. Um, it was a, you know, a Fred swinger with his, with his weak foot from outside the area that's flown into the top left that's won them the game. So it wasn't like there was a massive due process here. The, the one stat that I thought was interesting, which was shown on match of the day, was the, the amount of times United won the ball back in, in the final third. I think it was the, the fourth highest this season for any, any Premier League side, but also the highest of Manchester United ever since records began in the Premier League. So that's showing that they, even in one game, they are pressing higher and more effectively in the opposition's you know territory than they ever have done under any manager so you know to laugh entirely at those who are analyzing that first game is wrong because that is quite clear evidence of of whatever's going on in the training ground coming off and what we can probably expect to see is as the players get fitter and start to understand what's being demanded of them more it's going to become more and more effective so a, a, a very positive start and the one other part about Ranić, which you know not many of us knew about before, is he's, he speaks so well. He's one of those guys when you listen to him talking about the game and talking about his players, he's very at ease and he gets his message across incredibly well. And he's convincing. If I was a young player, I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely love to be playing under him. And I'm sure Mason Greenwood, amongst many others, will be delighted about the prospect of doing so. From Ralph Ranić, who talks so well, over to Steve now. Steve, <laughs> what, a, what a great link! Aaron Bazaka, what's going on? Yeah, I didn't go to university like Oxford or Cambridge. You can clearly tell that. Yeah, uh, or school. Come to uh, come to think of it, yeah. yeah the I mean, the narrative about him previously was he was he wasn't great going forward and he and he was really good defensively. 
and, and now we've seen him lose quite a bit of confidence. He's, I would say, an injury and he's lost his place in the team now. I was looking early at the, at the stats for his passing. It's quite, I thought it was quite interesting, the fact that he has actually made the most short passes for Manchester United this season by, by quite a way. And, and this new system might not be suited to them. You know, the game against Crystal Palace with, with Tellez and, and Dallow bombing on forward. I think Tellez had 66 touches in the, uh, in the Crystal Palace half during that game as well. So it feels like he's got a job on to prove himself as a £50 million defender at the moment with him look like he's being in, uh, in second spot as regards to Ragnick's thoughts of playing at, uh, at fullback. Yeah, Norwich, humble by Spurs last week, despite actually a, a good performance and a decent start to life under Dean Smith. But goals are a massive, massive problem. Sargent, Eder, Puke, all missed sitters. Dean Smith would have probably I mean, it's the XG show this week because Dean Smith would have mm. liked the XG numbers. It was 2.05 to 1.25 in favour of Spurs, but decent numbers from Norwich there. They would have been quite satisfied that they might have nabbed a goal under normal circumstances with those numbers. But in the last 25 Premier League games, George, they've scored just nine goals from 246 shots on goals. So a 3.7% conversion rate or one goal for every 27 attempts. Something mm. needs to happen in January, doesn't it? Well, I think, you know, a lot of people would say that's that's concerning. I would go the other way. And if I was Dean Smith, I'd be delighted by that because that, that doesn't continue. That, that, that changes. Yeah, I think. If you, no, if, if you're, if, you know... The 25 games are a long time. Poor, exactly, that's my point. To poor, poor finishing will we'll come into it to a degree. But if you are on a, on a ridiculous run, it's like West Brom in the Championship a couple of weeks ago. They... They hadn't scored in six games, had an XG of five in those six games. And everyone was saying, you know, it's the finishing, it's terrible. No, no, no. no if, you, if you keep doing that, you're going to score. That That is a an unsustainable anomaly. And, you know, yes, it might have been lo- over a longer period of time for Norwich. But you, know, you mentioned there, they missed three good chances against Spurs. That's good. You know, that is them getting into goal-scoring opportunities. We've seen too often this season that Norwich have been unable to do that under, um, under Daniel Farker. So Dean Smith, you know, that's the first part of the job done. If you keep putting the ball I mean I'm sure Brighton fans are listening to, listening to this saying yeah we've been told this for the last two and a half years but if you keep putting the ball into good areas and you get the right players Tamer Puki is I'm not necessarily convinced he's someone who is a, um, a top class Premier League striker but he certainly is a good finisher so if you can cater your side around getting him into good goal scoring opportunities he will score goals Adam Ida is the same as well even though he's he's young I, I mean I think Going back to that market that, that Steve mentioned earlier, the top newcomer market, that 12 to 1 Norwich is, is a big price. Uh, they are definitely the least likely of the three. I'm by no means saying here that they are going to um, gonna win that. But at the same time, that 12 to 1 gives them a very, very small chance. And we're still you know, almost in the season's infancy and they're only three, three points behind Watford. So much can change. And you've got a manager coming in who could easily improve their... their um, their performance levels and already has to an extent. So I, I wouldn't put anyone off backing that 12 to 1 for, for Norwich to do so. You know, they are still the, the least likely, they're still likely to go down. Um, but but it doesn't take, you know, we're playing here with, with quite fine margins when all three sides aren't in for very many points. So um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, this is a, obviously a very, very tough ask and they'll take a point immediately. And I'm, and I'm going to be interested to see how Smith sets up here because we know from last season, especially at Villa, that when Dean Smith plays against a side who press any any opportunity and throw men forward, like Ranick is likely to do, he normally fights fire with fire to pretty entertaining, yeah, to a pretty entertaining end, uh, namely a certain match against Liverpool last season. So I'll be intrigued to see if he if he goes the same way about it here and looks to to match fire with fire. 
you've almost persuaded me on that 12 to 1, but not quite. You didn't do enough <laughs> to get it over the line, George. You didn't quite convince me enough. Michael Bailey's been writing in The Athletic that Smith asked for the first four weeks to look at his current crop and assess whether the, where their strengths and weaknesses were before having a substantial discussion over what could be done in January to help them out. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. What's your prediction for this one, George? Yeah, prediction here, I, I think to go as I mentioned there with goals, because I mentioned the, the approach we're likely to see um, from, well, we know how Rennie it's going to set up. And even though that was only a 1-0 game against Palace, so we saw enough there to, to suggest to me that we're going to continue to see him um, attacking. I, I fancy Norwich to create some chances, as I've already mentioned as well. So in total, it's going to be over two and a half goals and both teams to score, which is 11 to 8. Excellent. Thank you very much, George. Game four, Leicester v Newcastle, Sunday, 2pm. And stop the press, Steve. Newcastle have won a game of football. <laughs> Don't we know it, those celebrations? No, yeah, I thought, we I do thought, know I, it. I, I, I thought they'd won a trophy. No, I think it was a it was a huge win for Newcastle. Massive, you know, the, uh, the clean sheet as well. I think they're up to up to 10 points now. And then, you know, all the positive PR that we've seen already from Eddie Howe, you know, getting in training at six o'clock, whoopee-doo. The, uh, the players talking about the fitness levels, you know, all, all these easy goals as well from a PR point of view, getting rid of the Sports Direct logos, etc. Everything feels great now. And they certainly need that as well, Down with a run of games that they've got coming up, starting with Leicester away this weekend. Just a glance down now, Liverpool away. Then it's Manchester City at home, Manchester United at home as well. And... A bit of a feel-good factor for them this week. They'll be well-rested, unlike Leicester City this weekend for a, for a number of reasons. And they're four to five to be relegated. And I think there's a... Bookmakers think they've got a chance of getting out of this. And then over the course, you know, next month as well, we've got a, a busy transfer window, you would have thought, with a few ins and outs. So big win for Newcastle, definitely. Yeah, everyone's kind of pinning their hopes on this January transfer window for Newcastle. Tarkovsky is one player who we thought they might look at, but he's expected to now stay at Burnley this January. Adam Crafton told this very podcast on Monday that there are a lot of clubs reluctant to even deal with Newcastle. So it's going to be tough, George, if, if they are pinning their hopes on getting players in, in January. Just because you've got all the money in the world doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to fix everything or even get anyone in at all. Yeah, I, I've got a feeling that if Newcastle fans are still expecting them to spend a couple of hundred million quid on players in January. I, I think they might be disappointed here. Um, Eddie Howe has come out in the press and kind of tried to play down those hopes saying, you know, we, we, we can't just buy our way out of trouble here. I think they're going to struggle to recruit from the Premier League, as you mentioned there, because basically Premier League teams are going to be unwilling to um, to deal with them. I have a feeling there are, there are at least 19 um, Premier League boards or execs um, who would have a stronger opinion this year than other years on who they'd like to get relegated from the Premier League and, and that is probably Newcastle. So therefore they're going to be shopping abroad. The whole football world is aware of, of Newcastle's new financial clout. The, there's you know the, the links with the owners and, and Inter as well which probably wouldn't help if, if, if they're going to have to fund that too. So we'll see. I mean, I, yeah, I, I would not be rushing to back Newcastle to stay up on the thinking that they're going to bring in a, a whole raft of quality players. I think that's going to be difficult for them to do. And it would be foolish because they're odds on to get relegated. So if they were to go out and spend loads of money on players now, are those players, you know, we've seen, you know, teams who've, who've spent a lot of money previously and then get relegated afterwards. You suddenly have a whole host of players who don't want to be there it's hard to shift on, on massive wages that you can't really support. You, you've only got your parachute payments to do so. And we all know 
um, that's a, a different rabbit hole that we won't go down today. So um, yeah, I, I'd be pretty concerned. Well, I wouldn't be concerned because you, you, you know Mike Ashley is gone. There's a positivity around the club. Eddie Howe is in. Steve Bruce is gone. There's lots to be happy about if you're a Newcastle fan, but I wouldn't hold your breath about uh, a host of elite players coming in in January. Yeah, not much positivity around Leicester at the moment, oh, Steve. No. You know, two fifth-place finishes in a row, which on the face of it are two good finishes, despite the circumstances, but they are all over the place defensively. I'm sure we spoke about it before on this podcast, but I watched them at Villa Park and was alarmed at how easily you could get at them. Yeah, I was coming back from Spurs Norwich, Dan, and I listened to the Villa game on the radio. I have to compliment the Villa fans, by the way. It sounded like a great atmosphere. It was very good. Uh, very yeah, good. I mean, especially when they showed that disallowed goal. Yeah, that, that felt like a massive turning point. But a huge worry for me, if I'd, a Leicester City fan would be the former Schmeichel, who's yeah. like almost minus seven on the goals prevented table. He looked he looked rattled at, at Villa Park. I know he's, he's had a lot of consecutive appearances. I think 129, I think I read in The Athletic. And he's got more trophies in the cabinet than me, that's for sure. Um, but 27 goals conceded this season, 10 from dead balls, six from corners. Their mixed zonal marking, of course, have been very well highlighted uh, course of Danny Ward now to uh, to come in which you kind of understand I suppose if, if, if you're a Leicester City fan because you'll be frustrated this season my tip is going to surround another an, another Leicester dead ball as well but uh, th- this is a this is a big game but Leicester are actually odds on to win it at four or six which might surprise a few people give us the tip then Steve Jamal uh, LaSalle's born in Derby ex-Forest facing Leicester scored recently against Brentford so I'm going to go for any time goal scorer at a juicy 18 to 1 against the Leicester side very weak at set place and I'm not going to pick on you because last time I did that regular on scored so I'm not going to, not going to bother with all that again but Steve does love a fairy tale the way he's teed it up he absolutely loves a fairy tale this is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Final game we're going to look at today is Crystal Palace versus Everton, which is 4.30 on Sunday. Again, I found Newcastle finally win a game. Felt like a while, George, since Everton had won a game. And on Monday night, you might know it was against Arsenal. But it was a good performance considering everything that's going on. The protests felt like a club in crisis. Did well to get a win. I, I absolutely loved it. I mean, I thought it was one of the most enjoyable um, kind of non 
big six playing each other Premier League games on TV we've, we've had for a long time the first half was terrible uh, I'm not going to deny that but that second half and, and I liked you know we had the the protest that didn't really happen instead the Goodison um the Goodison crowd started making a lot of noise. I think that might have been just in, in a reaction to what they saw in the first 25 minutes, which was their their side pressing high, you know, running into the ground for them, showing a bit of quality. We mentioned last week about Arsenal and their record when going behind, when, when going ahead. The same happened again. You know, they were good until they went ahead. But the, you know, whilst they they only won the game two one, and it was from a Damari Gray unbelievable goal. On the balance of play, they could have won that game so comfortably. You know, Richarlison had scored a hat-trick, two of which were, were offside, thanks to VAR. The second of which I still think is, you know, because of the result, everyone's kind of glossed over the fact that it was one of the weirdest VAR decisions where the line itself seemed to be about an inch in front of, of Richarlison's foot. Um, he didn't really seem to gain much in terms of, of um, an advantage from either offside either. Um and, and then they, they deserved their win. You know, Damari Gray was very lively. Richarlison looked like a completely different player to what we've seen at times this season. And whatever has galvanised them, um, you know, and there were a lot of people when they were 1-0 down saying that Benitez should get sat for not playing Luca Dean and for falling out with Luca Dean and all this stuff. That's all been forgotten. And it felt like for once, the whole club, in terms of the players, the fans and Benitez himself were putting together to get over the line there. And you saw the reaction from, from Damari Gray as well after the final whistle. Um, some people saying he should have had a red card for one yellow for taking his shirt off and one yellow for jumping into the crowd, which I don't think it really works that way. Um, but yeah, I was I was really impressed. And I think they've got to use that as a, as a platform now to, to push on. And this is another winnable game against a side in Palace who, as I mentioned, have, have impressed early in the season, but have definitely dropped away a little bit. Yeah, winless in four now, Steve. Should there be any need for concern at Selhurst Park? I mean, Benteke missed a hat load. Hat load? Can you even have it? I've done it again when I'm going to be on football cliche. Can you have a hat load of chances? I'm not sure if that's even more yeah, than a bucket if it, load if it, of chances. If it's yeah. a hat load, if it's yeah. a big hat, I guess you can. Yeah, okay, we'll yeah, say. Yeah, we'll say yeah. I look forward to featuring on that again next week. Um, could it be time for Edward now to come in for Benteke? Just be a little bit more, little bit more pacing behind, causing a bit more problems. He's, he's not playing much recently. No, he hasn't. Um, Benteke's had some some big chances in the last few games, last three games down where he hasn't scored. And of course, Edward came into the side of the blaze of glory. I think he got a brace, didn't he, in his first game? But he hasn't had many minutes since. I think he started one of the last four, but. Going back to, to Patrick Vieira and Palace, they're nine to one to be relegated. So they're, they're still a big price to go down. Dan, they've had some injuries to some key players. Anderson and MacArthur spring to mind. Conor Gallagher was overrun at Old Trafford. Zahar's not influencing games like he has done before. So that's a bit of a concern. They have been pretty clinical this season for a side that averages just over three shots on target per game. But from a school report, seven out of 10, job done. And I think Palace will be fine this season. Yeah, I think Vieira would be happy with that 7 out of 10 rating. They are an impressive side to watch. They've definitely, the change in style has been really, really strong. It's good to see. It takes a lot to do that quickly. So they might not be getting the results, but I think there's definitely been improvements at Crystal Palace. With that in mind, what's the tip here, George? I mentioned him before. I think Richardson at 11 to 4 is is the, the value way to play this to score any time. You know, he is their key attacking player. He, he was incredibly dangerous against Arsenal. He looks to be someone who does blow hot and cold. When he's in a good spell, he is. You know, he's better basically than than, than the, what we normally see. He's a player who, when he's when he's at the top of his game, should be playing for a top six team, in my opinion. And that is what we got on Monday. And if we get that again here, um, I think that that eleven to four for a player. You know, you look at the players who are supposedly a shorter price than him to score here. They're, they're mainly Palace players, but um, 
yeah, I, I think he if he turns up in that kind of form playing through the middle again, uh, he'll fancy his chances of, of getting on the score sheet. Yeah, I think that's a good synopsis of Richarlison. When he's on top of his game, probably a top six player. When he's not, mm. probably a bottom six player. Yeah. No, you didn't you didn't say that, but I've just put the no, last that, bit you know, into your mouth. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good <laughs> synopsis. That does us for today, but just enough time for me to remind you that if for some reason you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic and you would like to change that, go to theathletic.com slash football pod and you'll gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free podcasts for just £3.33 a month for an entire year. That's theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks to Steve, thanks to George, and thanks to all of you, of course, for listening. Remember to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a show. And Mark Chapman, David Ornstein and company will be back on this feed on Monday. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Enjoy the football and have a great weekend. The Athletic.